0: Three, two, one, and we're back. And Julie, it is our Sunday show. This is our show that is, frankly, not about Real estate, usually.
1: Usually. Although (laughs) sometimes we naturally meander into that zone.
0: Because we can't help ourselves. But this is Real Estate Coaching Radio, and this is your disclaimer. You know, It's a Sunday show, which means we're going to talk about pretty much whatever comes to mind. We have no uh, agenda or specific plan of of things to chat about. This is Julie and I's opportunity to defrag while all of you listen in and then prepare for the following week. That is what the Sunday show is. And hopefully you're going to enjoy it. I did write quite a few things down, actually, that I was going to want to discuss with Julie, most of which I have not previously discussed with her because I'd love to hear her honest input on it. But I want to start out by saying that we are going to be starting – um, multiple daily clubhouse events on the clubhouse app. We're going to be actually talking about the clubhouse app today because it's it's. I think it's marking an interesting evolution in social networking that we really haven't seen. Um, I think uh, grow at this rate at the rate that it is since really Facebook. And I guess maybe that's a great place to start. Mm-hmm. So when this clubhouse app app uh, came around, it's only been out like six months. No, no, it's been out for like a year. Yes. Um, But it was like when Twitter came out, like no one, I remember you and I were very early users of Twitter Mm -hmm. and it was just bizarre. You know, the whole concept of it was very, and all Twitter was, well, all Twitter was, but what Twitter was in essence was they were trying to essentially make it so that it's SMSing in a more organized fashion, right? Mm -hmm. So you could have multiple, you know, streams of conversation going on, WhatsApp and all these other things, do similar things. WhatsApp is mostly used for international uh, folks. But and at the end of the day, that's what Twitter was. It was essentially an iteration of SMSing. And then Facebook was an iteration of a lot of social networks that came before it. None of this really matters uh, at the end of the day. And then YouTube, obviously YouTube wasn't necessarily a new concept either. There was other video channels that were out there. But nobody had ever really developed a uh, an app that was just capturing the human voice. And I always thought that was sort of interesting because human voice speaking what Julie and I do, that's our thing, right? And uh, because we've coached forever, we've done you know thousands of podcasts, we've done thousands and thousands of live presentations. And a lot of you too, by the way, will find yourselves, um, frankly, struggling less to participate at a high level in social stuff because you're naturally a better speaker than maybe you would be a better you know, video pr- uh, presenter or you know, certainly maybe even better in a, in a textual perspective, right? Maybe it's easier for you, it's easier for me to talk than it is to, for me to write. I can talk faster and think faster than my fingers can type, for example, right? Mm-hmm, sure. and I, I think most people are like that. I think so. And the other thing I really am finding very, very intriguing, and I've been studying this app from a whole bunch of different perspectives, and the thing that I found most fascinating about it was from almost a studying humans perspective. What's Mm -hmm. that called when you're a scientist? Anthropologist. Anthropologist, right. So I feel like I'm almost a modern anthropologist uh, with regards to studying why this app is growing so fast. And it really took me back this morning, Julie, to a thought that you and I had back in like March or April about the Renaissance, Mm -hmm. you know? And so Mm -hmm. tell them historically, I know, isn't that funny? But that's, I think, that's the reason that I've been so intrigued by this because it seems to be the continuation of... All of this massive amount of social, technical, financial, you know, lifestyle change that was forced upon us, and still many, many parts of the country still being forced upon us because of the COVID lockdowns, and because of all the other things that you know COVID did in unintentionally. And in essence, our theory was that the output of this was going to be something extraordinarily good. And now I think we're starting to really see. The real seeds of those uh, statements that we made over a year ago really play out. So yeah, tell them this. No, I think so too. Tell, tell them what the Renaissance well, is. Well,
1: you know, the Renaissance came after the Dark Ages, where we had plagues and nothing really was happening technologically. There were a lot of people dying, there were some wars going on. You know, there wasn't a lot of advancement. That's why it was called the Dark Ages. And then along comes the Renaissance, which I think, you know, the easy way to explain that is a large amount of advances in multiple disciplines. Very quickly and all at the same time. <laughs> That's the best um, analogy that I can say. And I think that you're right that COVID was a catalyst to, and perhaps the spark to a new renaissance. And you see that not just with um, you know like Clubhouse and that kind of technology and lots of different apps, but you also see like I, I saw a picture of um, I think it was NASA that did this. It was the first um, you know solo like the astronaut only had his jetpack. That's it. And he's like, way out in space. No tether, no nothing. On your own, it better work, okay? And that was like the furthest anybody's gone out solo with a new technology, he's the guy. I mean, that's huge. That's a renaissance type thing to me that 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 can happen. Uh, we landed something else on the moon this week. Of course, Clubhouse has taken off. There's eight million users, and it's only in its beta testing, I believe.
0: Right. Um, so, the, Mar- the Mars and, orbiter, basically NASA's yeah. Mars orbiter, you know, piloting along Mars and, and shooting mm-hmm. images back. You sent me an article about that. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, yeah, I mean,
1: even museums have had a renaissance because now people are touring museums online. And having a huge association of of things that they wouldn't have normally seen anyway, now they're seeing it because of COVID and a lot of output of uh, digital art is huge right now. So So most
0: of what you just described was a Mm -hmm. renaissance of basically, uh, essentially technology and all these types of- Mostly, yeah. These little granular things that basically will be historical- uh perspectives when the Mm -hmm. book is written about this era you know a thousand years from now but what i'm noticing when i sense is a renaissance in the way that humans want to communication uh, Mm right that's where i find it very fascinating Mm -hmm. and i'm finding that because i think a lot of people were taking their ability to have ease of communication and connection for granted with folks you know Mm -hmm. i mean if you think about um communication the ability to to meet with people it in a strange way it's a luxury And, and let me explain I mean, it wasn't that long ago that the access to clean water wasn't something you could easily have. It wasn't really that long ago, depending on where you lived, that really you could count on even having clean air, truthfully. I mean, re- remember you and I were growing up, and, mm-hmm. you know, there was, it was normal to have basically big nasty clouds around and, yeah. you know, when we, uh, sure. yeah, I mean, all that. So it's it, it, The entitlement or the expectation that you have food that you can have um, easy access to and all the different things, healthcare and you know, financial services and just I'll tell you the biggest one, though, is what Julie just said. It's the access to information. Never before has there been this um, uh, much available, really high quality information. If frankly, you know how to look and you're willing to wade through it all (laughs) um, out there. And that's what's really exciting to me. And I I always go back to like, you know, if you have a spark and this is something else I wrote down and maybe we'll talk about, maybe we won't. But if you, you know, most people, most agents in particular, are opportunistic. They're not mm-hmm. business people. They're not entrepreneurs. They say they are, but they're not. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're opportunity seekers. And I, and that's, they're mostly the opportunity seeker types are the ones that are attracted to the new, the novel. They're not willing to actually grind it out and have a yep. lifestyle of doing what they don't want to do. And they don't want to do it at the highest level for like long periods of time. Easy
1: button samplers. Right. They're opportunistic.
0: They're yeah. just looking for the bright light. They're the ones that go to like, you know, big conferences where everyone's a, you know, one motivational speaker after another after another and they're big pump up events. Those are primarily opportunity seekers. They're never really, they're high or if they get really you know turned on by was the seeking of the next opportunity. That's what they get excited about because they back off or generally speaking, aren't willing to work through the drudgery of actually building uh, a real business. I mean, building a real business long-term is a little bit like I don't know, chewing glass while you're on a pogo stick. I mean, <laughs> it's oftentimes really... Not un- every day, but... Yeah, but it's oftentimes really sure, unpleasant. It and, is. and to have a business that lasts for decades or even you know, five years is extraordinary. Most businesses fail within tw- uh, two years or less. And I don't even know what your definition of succeeding is, because most businesses that um, hardly ever make any profit, and that's become a normalized thing. Again, that's not something we're going to talk about today. But I think this renaissance thing is real. I do, too. And I think going forward, uh, you're going to see, we're going to experience a renaissance. And I don't think it's just going to be a United States thing. And I'll tell you what I'm sensing. First of all, you know, we've mentioned this before in the podcast, but there was this whole... Um, frugality fatigue thing that settled in after the real estate crash back in oh seven oh eight oh nine. Like you know, when that settled in and everyone is realizing that we don't know, you know, no one knows knew what was next for housing. You know, I was, remember I I was on a, doing a podcast with Valerie Fitzgerald. She mm-hmm. said she's thinking about selling her Bentley and buying a Prius. <laughs> I know,
1: but I also remember other things that. Then um, one day we'll write a book about those years too, but. Uh, I remember that when you got your haircut your haircut lady was like god we're really slow people will just stop getting their haircut you yeah. know people went into serious frugality and, and lots of other examples like that well so,
0: so what yeah. what happened on the other side of that was is that's where and a lot of you who are listening to us weren't in real estate then so you may have known about the frugality fatigue but maybe you had stable income and you weren't you know worried about the house sales and the rest of it like the rest of us were but you know so you're only maybe sort of emotionally resembling or maybe yeah, well,
1: some of them relating. were in college and high school. Then, too. Exactly. That's yeah. what I'm
0: thinking about. Yeah. And and so this is your first real this pandemic is is your first real taste of, of reality. And and you know, you live long enough, unfortunately or fortunately, you're gonna have more of them like this, you know. But what we're what we saw after the pandemic, or I'm sorry, after the real estate crash was this end of frugality fatigue. And that's where you saw Essentially, a lot of the companies that were born after that, and I'll give you the biggest one that a lot of you guys, have it's sort of a love-hate relationship, would be Zillow. I mean, Zillow did not exist before the real estate crash. In essence, they didn't. They basically went live about the same time, what, 2008, is when they started selling buyer leads. And after that, and, after, and there were a whole bunch of other things that happened in real estate too. There were no, you know, you couldn't just turn on the television and every third channel find some real estate reality flipping, fixing, Mm -hmm. whatever and whatnot. All those things basically came as a result maybe of the real estate crash in 2007 through 2009. And and that's where I think it's going to happen this time as well. But after the um, economic storm clouds cleared and people started realizing that real estate was going to be something that, hey, guess what? People really want to buy. And then essentially, socially, it became something that was a desirable profession to pursue. Then you saw what we, the the result of all that is what we're experiencing now. Um, Now, what's going to come as the result of this pandemic? What's going to happen at the end? And here's what's really fascinating. During the real estate crash, we had a big bout of, uh, you know, essentially depreciation of assets, houses lost value, so did a lot of other things. And then we had massive inflation or appreciation of homes. But this go around, there has been no and will be no depreciation, but we are seeing incredible appreciation, if not we're really what it is, is inflation of real estate and a lot of other asset classes too. Rising values. Rising values, right, for the, in layman's terms. So that's going to continue in earnest, but then you're going to have, com- combining with that, you're going to have the the Fed continuing to produce, uh, you know, churn out trillions and trillions of dollars of, of money. So what that in essence means is that the Fed is essentially – you know, spiking the punch bowl. That's the easiest way to explain it. And they're going to continue to spike the, uh, the punch bowl, um, Janet Yellen came out and said, you know, it's time for even a bigger, you know, amount of economic stimulus. So more and more money gets printed and that money has to go someplace. And where it generally has been settling is in asset prices, specifically in real estate. And that's going to continue. So real estate prices are going to continue. The money printing is absolutely going to continue. You're going to see more inflation. How all this ends will, you know, be, you know, who knows, but, um, the other thing you're going to see is I think just like back in 07 through 09 with the end of frugality fatigue, I think frugality fatigue that people are experiencing in that era is nothing compared to what people are going to be wanting and how the changes they're going to want to make in their lives post-pandemic.
1: Because this is more broad. This well, it's is, global. This, this is more, well, in terms of geographically, certainly, but also... It's more of like a a lifestyle fatigue, right? Right. It's an entertainment fatigue. When was the last time somebody went to a movie theater, right? right? And restaurants and and you name your entertainment, sports, sporting events. It's broad in terms of all of the areas of your life that it's touched, even kids' school. You know, I talked to, it's so funny, like we all were really into virtual school and sharing that for a long time. And now that the school is supposedly coming back uh, live in March, some of the moms are like, oh, yeah, bring it on. I can't wait for that experience, you know, because that's, it. I mean, it's a community experience. It's good for their kids to social. And they don't want to have to do the grind anymore. Certainly, right. I think that's the underlying thing. But, mm-hmm. it, but the point being that it affects kids' education. It, a lot of college students were affected, all of the entertainment stuff. I mean, think about a, ton, a town like Las Vegas. That could come roaring back. Well, I hope so, it does. But
0: look what you're having. This mm-hmm. is a convergence thing. And this is what I've been mm-hmm. really thinking about. The reason yeah. I've been so quiet for the last two days, because mm-hmm. I think we have a convergence thing that's about to happen. Mm-hmm. It's a convergence between this massive amount of money that's been printed in the economy, this convergence between whatever the hell it's going to be called, let's just call it frugality fatigue, mm-hmm. and the convergence of people's expectations of a cha- an acceptable change in their lifestyle sure. and their acceptance or in their expectations of what they're going to, how they want their lives to. To change mm-hmm. so you're going to have an enormous amount of money an enormous amount of pent-up demand on all fronts not just even buying more crap. demand than yeah right and people's uh, absolutely wanting to have different a lifestyle that they otherwise wouldn't have had and i'll prove that to mm-hmm. you with one simple obvious point okay look okay the pandemic big nasty horrible thing and it, listeners it's you know politics aside it's the third worst plague in the history of humanity so There it is. It's real. So that pandemic, this pandemic, which is hopefully going to be ebbing, you know, no longer flowing, Mm -hmm. uh, is going to be rounding the bend hopefully this year. Yes. And uh, in that, in just what, two years basically, more than that by that time, look how much people have uh, moved the hell out of the cities. And look to see what the stuff that's happening in California Look to see the yeah. stuff that's happening in other, these other lockdown states. Again, I do not yeah. want to be political, but the long-term ramifications of how the local governments treated their citizenry is never that bell is not going to be unrung for the for generations. It's going to be one of those things that people remember. Like I mean, I'm Julie's you know dearly departed great grandmother or grandmother, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mini, false. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she uh, she would collect rubber bands. I mean, she she was a Depression-era <laughs> baby. So she would continue to collect all these things, very well-organized piles of junk. I mean, basically is what in they were. In case
1: there was scarcity.
0: Right. In case there was scarcity. Now, why was she collecting the jars and the rubber bands? Because that's what had the value. The money didn't have the value. The crap had the value. So you might as well basically have hordes of stuff because then you have something in essence that you can trade. You
1: can use it. You can trade it. You can, right. you know. You have options. That's what was
0: going on in that – now, look, that lasted through to Julie, her granddaughter. That was much more stretched out. Julie still – is basically she has these little, and I'm not criticizing; it's a fact. Julie here, Julie's mom also did similar behaviors. Julie does similar behaviors, so Julie's you know trying to keep it in check. And I see our little seven-year-old daughter; she's also starting to save <laughs> things and hoard things a little bit. Now mostly Barbies and you know things yeah, like that. But still, <laughs> exactly. But still, at the end of the day, the point is is like if you want to make this you know take this to a I think an inappropriate level, there may have been something changed in the genetic code of Minnie faults that got passed to uh, Janet faults that got passed to you know Julie Guthrie, that got passed to Zoe Grace Harris, right? So there may have been something that got changed Happy. in the, What's the epi-
1: epigenetics? You're right.
0: There may have something that's got changed in epigenetics. Say it again? Epigenetics. Thank you. That got basically well, passed on through generations. Let's,
1: let's not throw that term around. That's basically the, uh, the truth, the studied truth, is that through your behavior, your genes can be turned on or off. Right. Okay. So maybe that is a gene that was turned on, you know, by my grandma and then inherited by me that I would not have otherwise had had she not been through the depression.
0: Yeah, and normally, I mean, obviously, we're probably taking this to an extreme. There probably is no gene for hoarding, but if there is one, Julie's got it. Probably. But, yeah, but the, you know, it is normally something that would be associated with, you know, health. Scarcity. And disease and... and things like that, yeah. Like the, long, the, the long-term genetic ramifications of having grandparents that were uh, malnourished are something that they've been able to prove does change the genome. But so moving forward. Let's think about this so if what we're saying is philosophically you know acceptable and maybe it's you know socially understandable what we're saying then let's think about what does that world look like and i think we're just now starting to see what that world looks like and and now look let's let's drill this back in to talk about specific things like technology If now people are able to live where the hell they want in the country and not have to, and and there's no expectation anymore that if you want to be in finance, you have to live in one of the finance hubs of the world, you know, London or New York or, you know, arguably some of the, you know, you guys get the gist of it. If if there was, if there's no longer an expectation that you have to, if you're going to be in the tech world, that you have to live in one of the tech centers uh, in the nation, if now you can work remotely, I just made a friend, uh, I didn't tell you this, Hmm. we were talking about, um, what are those uh, those Winnebago things you like? Um,
1: Airstreams. Airstreams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
0: I made a friend with a guy that basically runs a tech company. He mm-hmm. sold his house in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and he drives around the country now, and, and no, he no, no, basically no. podcasts and does all of his business That's cool. from his Airstream. Mm-hmm. But I just – and there's a picture of it. It's how I – you know That's cool. But I got to thinking about that. Like how different would that be? I'm not saying I find that appealing in the least because I no. don't. But I can see why people would.
1: Well, we have lots of examples of um, coaching clients who, you know, their listing clients cashed out, got all their equity out, and didn't buy something, they bought an RV and they're driving the country until the, you know, prices settle down, inventory comes back, but maybe, but maybe,
0: But maybe they, maybe they're
1: not going to end up. Right. Maybe they're going to like that lifestyle. And it does at, give you freedom.
0: And look at, like, for you know, we talk about some of the, like, Murphy, North Carolina where we bought that house and we have all these other little markets around the country that people never really assumed would appreciate. They're just sort of laggards to the, in their bedroom uh, communities. I just read vac- an article about that this and, morning. Vacation yeah. and third home markets. Well, that's, where, so where people have been going historically to vacation is now they're wanting to go to live, and the technology is yeah. making it so that they can. But most importantly, it's almost it's totally and completely acceptable now, and in that bell will not be unrung for people to be remote workers.
1: Yeah, that's right. So uh, in this article was like the, the top the new top 10 cities, and there were places like Ogden, Utah, and Raleigh, North Carolina- Austin was on there as like the biggest example of it, uh, Nashville, certainly. But, you know, one of the, I've got a lot of coaching clients that are in those types of previously vacation only second, third home VRBO markets. So, for example, Murphy, North Carolina, but their main house was in Atlanta. So a lot of our coaching clients are reporting that it's like the reverse sale. They're selling their urban house. They're moving to their vacation rental which is now reducing the VRBO inventory because people are actually going to go live in what was previously just an investment house. So it's kind of like reverse migration in a way or however you want to define that. But I think that's an interesting trend. And I think you're right that that bell is not going to be unrung everybody thinks that it's a super hot seller's market everywhere. Well, I'll tell you from lots of coaching calls, that's not true. The more urban environments are having more inventory and more days on the market and a little bit harder to sell. That doesn't mean they're not selling. They're just taking a little bit longer.
0: Right. And I mean, some people want to live in the cities, right? So Different type of client. But the point being is that the expectation is is that, Mr. Employer, if I'm going to work for you, I'm going to be able to live where I want to live, and that's going to be that. And that's the thing that's very fascinating to me. The
1: acceptance of it being normal and and now expected that your employer gives you a remote option maybe not every day of the week but you know maybe you've got to go to your go to town every uh, month or so but i think that's the expectation now and that that's you're not weird anymore asking for that
0: would you agree that you should never be you personally should mm-hmm. never be characterized as an early adopter would you say that's true
1: depends on what it is probably okay i so- mean i buy all the iphone products pretty early but
0: Yeah, but you weren't necessarily staying in line for the first iPhone back in, yeah. But let me, so let me ask you a question. Why do you think, and I know you haven't really been spending any time on this, Mm -hmm. but why do you think the Clubhouse app is now the fastest growing app, social app in the history of social apps?
1: I think that they're, I think it's related to uh, what we're talking about before with people being a little bit uh, pent up with um, communication. I think people have a craving for being connected and we were all forced into isolation for quite a few months, uh, differing degrees certainly, but I think that there's a craving for human interaction. I do. And I think it also, it, I, I find it interesting cause I hear, I listen into some of the stuff you're listening to, um, is, is the craving for some, you know, to tickle your brain with something new because in clubhouse, for example, you don't have to, it's not like going to college where you're, you know, you're going to be in that class for that hour, whether you like it or not, right? In Clubhouse, you can go and sample some things and say, well, that sounds like an interesting speaker, an interesting topic, or an interesting room. And you go there and maybe it's not your cup of tea. So you switch. And now like this one, you're really addicted to. I think it's that human craving for additional um, knowledge and creativity and relationships and and to maybe to an extent leadership on some of the rooms. I think so too. That's just my... Very first impressions. There
0: are, I would say the 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 uh, there's 29 apps now that are competing with Clubhouse, which mm-hmm. is extraordinary, and all the big players are going to come out with their own audio no, drop-in. Like that in didn't audio. take long, right? Right. Well, I mean, but <laughs> yeah. it is fascinating too. I was listening to actually uh, someone explaining the technology behind Clubhouse, mm-hmm. and the the base tech, the base software code for behind Clubhouse is mm-hmm. actually uh, Chinese software.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: it's actually the Clubhouse app is running essentially a, um, you know, state of China, basically, you know, government-owned company. That's weird. Isn't that funny? So I'm sure
1: there's conspiracy theories about that somewhere. But. Well,
0: okay, so let's talk about yeah. that. And this, this is kind of an interesting pivot. I didn't write just this down. Just speculating. Well, just speculating. But so everyone talks about um, artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. And the artificial intelligence is already alive and well and operating all the way around us. And what I think is where this uh, audio stuff is going, it's it's making the there's artificial intelligence based bots that people are designing to basically act like a human and listen in and record all the conversations on uh, clubhouse and there was a hack that happened yesterday mm-hmm. where um and they don't know what where it came from in mm-hmm. essence they it's sort of like a big thing where they're trying to figure out somebody had gone on to um you know create one of these bots in essence was going in and recording every conversation was having on clubhouse mm-hmm. and then was broadcasting it live on a, on a sister website and it was just obviously testing technology for some un- just de- undetermined weird. purpose um, and so in case in yeah. case you guys don't know this, one of the think the reasons that Clubhouse is powerful is because it really is like attending a live event because the conversations it's against their terms of service to record the conversations. And now what's
1: your AI apparently?
0: unless you're ai and so what's going on is that most people like they're you it's the ultimate fear of missing out fomo so people will see there's a conversation going on with elon musk or there was joe rogan was on there the other day supposedly joe rogan's going to have a live clubhouse of that with vladimir, vladimir putin did i tell you about that <laughs> no yeah of course vladimir's gonna have a, a, a translator <laughs> yeah but i mean so all these things wow. are happening on clubhouse but the conversations aren't supposed to be recorded it's against their terms of service um, again, to make, make it so people are motivated to attend the conversation yeah. live.
1: I think that's really interesting. Okay. So, and I'll, sorry to interrupt you about that, but I, I've thought it kind of feels like, you know, when we were kids and like your brother could be having a phone call and you could pick up the other phone and listen yeah. in, you know, like, and you had like that live feeling. But why that, aren't like,
0: they recording them? Why aren't they? I, uh, think,
1: I think what you said, it makes people show up would be one reason. Um, and, and remember, you know, you missed a show, you missed a show like that fear of missing out. Maybe, I don't know. What's your opinion on that?
0: Um, I think that first of all, there'll be other apps that come out. Remember there's 29 of them. That's going to make it so that it's, um, that you can record your conversations. Yeah. But the, it's fascinating to me that they're not, so the people believe that they're actually recording that clubhouse is recording every single conversation for the sake of basically, quality control. Or if someone says somebody said this or there's some sort of controversy going on, they could somehow go back and listen to it. Mm. But no one's actually validated whether that's true or not. Hmm. So I'm gonna operate just for the sake of answer for the sake of answering your question on the premise that they're not recording the conversations.
1: Okay. So
0: why aren't they recording the conversations? First of all, there's no liability, right? Different states, different countries Good in point. the world have different rules without about recording conversations. That would be that, a
1: nightmare to keep track of. And that would be
0: the number yeah. one reason I think is because internationally all the especially in the eu you have in in, in australia and all these other places you have all these very very strict privacy laws that don't exist in the united states Mm. and this app is already international International. so that would be my my opinion that's the number one reason Um, number two is i think that was the fomo thing that's Mm -hmm. the number two but i think the other third thing is and i don't think it's necessarily designed this way is because one of the things that people are living now in the shadows of is all the you know bullshit they may have said on some social channel <laughs> back you know when they were Haunting drunk them. when they were drunk in college and forgot they even said it and they thought they went back and deleted all the posts on Twitter where they were ranting about yeah. something and they were just joking.
1: And then they pissed somebody off and they dig it up. And right. And they hold and, it against and you. They went, and
0: they went back and they deleted it on Twitter. But that, in, that information was still indexed inside Google or someone could have screenshot what you said and all these conversations follow you forever. Um, That had obviously that's proven to be a real problem. And if you just look how basically what's happened in the past, like 36, 48 months in politics and just all these different things, people are willing to, you know, spend hours to go and deep dive all your social posts back from when you were like six and posting about your, you know, six year old birthday party and. Whatever. I mean they're and, and then they take something out of context and then the next thing you know, you have this sort of legacy of out of context well, you know, Bob said this when he was fourteen. What makes you think Bob, even though he's, you know, forty seven now, there's no reason to believe that Bob's you know, thinking about that particular thing has evolved. Well by not making it so that the conversations are recorded, and it does in a way, though I'm just theorizing, free up people to have more candid conversations about things without necessarily worrying about the conver- what they said being taken out of context in the future.
1: Yeah, I had a, a similar thought, not exactly that, and I, I think you're right, um, that maybe the conversations, probably not all of them, but I, I was thinking, are the conversations more... Um, not concise, but more more accurate, more eloquent for people who know their topic, whatever it is in the room, because it's of the moment, right? You only have that one shot to get your message across. And because I, I think some of the other social media platforms you get away with too much, like you people can, go can, back people and edit can it. post stupid crap you all can, the time. You can go
0: back and edit it. Yeah, but
1: because there's no immediate feedback. Right. It's a different type of communication. Well, but on, right? I'm not on, saying it on very Clubhouse
0: but... and all these other audio apps. And this is mm-hmm. the reason I think these audio apps are going to replace all forms of. I think they're going to. It's an evolution uh, mm-hmm. because you, when you say something, it's not like on a Facebook thing where you can go and take a, a picture, you know, and all of a sudden you can go and then add some filters or you know erase somebody that's, that's standing what I'm saying. beside you. It's more you. precise. It's it's it, more it's, it's wrong. honest. Yeah. Which it's really, raw.
1: It, it is what it is. There's no modification of it. You said what you said.
0: Yeah. And all, everything else basically on social, you can assume, and we don't need to give examples. I know you want to talk about the stupid fake no. jet, but we don't need to give examples. Most everything else in, in social is fake. I mean, it's so much of it's just absolute fakery. You know, and it's never ending. Uh, there's apps now to make your hair, your eyes bluer, or your hair longer, or your, you know, body shape different, and all these different things. Don't
1: forget putting whiskers and cat ears on yourself. Yeah, exa-
0: of course. <laughs> I mean, and so yeah, it, it, it's like there's almost this expectation that it's, you know, mostly BS. And guess what? It is. But then when mm-hmm. you look at to see what, um, when you're listening to someone talk, and you're listening to see how they, you know, communicate, how they um, articulate. And they're having to do so without the opportunity to go back and delete, delete, delete what they just said and, you know, check their grammar and grammar release, not following them around, you know, editing at every turn of the road. It's real honest to God conversation, like the types of conversations that you could normally only have um, in life, you know, in person to person. Now, you don't have obviously the ability to look at somebody. But if you have a choice, most people are going to say they're more visual and how they read people. And I think that's true because through visual, you can pick up a lot of um, little micro expressions and things like that. Your intuition is going to be picking up on things constantly to differing levels, right? But And so you don't have that with, um, you know, you obviously don't have that with audio only. And Then you're going to argue, well, Tim, that's what YouTube's for. But the problem is, is that's all faked too. I mean, a lot of that is people going back and doing a lot of edits um, and again, if you're if you pop into a conversation or a clubhouse event or one of these drop-in audio things, I don't want to sound like we're promoting a particular app, yeah. but you know, and you're listening to someone try to express themselves about a topic that they're not normally uh, very you know articulate about it is fascinating to watch them work through it and some of them absolutely have nothing to say and I think that's kind of interesting so if you have somebody that you basically have held up on a pedestal uh, for being maybe an intellectual smart you know forward thinking whatever because you've heard them talk about whatever their topic was and then all of a sudden they're being faced to talk about something that's not in their necessarily in their wheelhouse and they stumble you realize what that person has just been doing is essentially a stage performance and so every time you've tuned into them they've talked about maybe maybe one of their 10 or 11 different drilled-down topics. And after that, they have absolutely no color. They're, they're not mm-hmm. they're not what you thought they were. I think that's fascinating.
1: I do, too. I was thinking when you were talking about that how I, I do – I guess I really do appreciate and like when people are the same, uh, you know, more broadly and out in real life as what you think they are, like actors. Like when I met Daniel Craig, I was, like, totally impressed that he was, you know, like I expected him to be and not – like the actor and then like in real life he's a total jerk or something well I I mean I almost ran over who's the comedian guy Uh, Dave Chappelle
0: yeah Dave Chappelle I almost ran Uh, over he's pretty
1: consistent to who oh yeah we know him as Jay
0: Kinder and I are following him on on our golf cart this really happened here at the Ritz Carlton in Puerto Rico and um, you know where we live and he falls basically was struggling on his bike and um, was you know essentially having to jump off of it that long story short and we are right behind him and I say Dave you got you know, you got a choice. We're going to either run over you or you have to have, you know, take a picture with us. And he turned around as he was rebalancing himself on his bike (laughs) and he said, run over me. I'm on vacation. I mean, that was awesome. And so that's clearly somebody that's, you know, genuinely funny all the time.
1: Yeah. But I I mean, don't you appreciate that though? And I think that, you know, when you're having to do something live, I mean, I've sometimes we're like this on on the Sunday show. Yeah. And you have to work through your thoughts and you have to be you know, hopefully consistent with who you really are. It, it's, it is different. I think there's a different expectation. And I, I don't know. It just seems a little bit more authentic in a strange way.
0: It's going to allow for people who maybe didn't necessarily have a quote unquote stage to start to develop their craft Yeah, and to it's good
1: practice. You're right about that. Yep,
0: and to have the um, social impetus Mm -hmm. to evolve themselves as maybe pseudo intellectuals, if not full fledged intellectuals. So Mm -hmm. it's going to give people like I mean, I'm thinking of people like um, Jordan Peterson, frankly. Sure. I mean, he was just some sort of you know he was definitely an interesting philosopher or a uh, I'm sorry, scholarly type. Scholarly type. What University of Toronto, I think. Um, You know, PhD psychologist, the whole thing. And and people started videotaping his, um, his lectures. Yeah, and and they were and they went crazy on YouTube. And people were like, well, "Who the hell is this guy?" And then you know he ran amok of sort of the the, the uh, I think the social zeitgeist up there. Stuff. And 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 then next thing you know. He basically becomes who he is today. Well, there's a lot of other people like that. I think they're going to start um, that society and, and people in general are going to, they want to have fresh voices constantly. And it's difficult. And it's, it, the term is oversaturated. All the social channels are so oversaturated. It's very difficult for you to find any room whatsoever. And like, if you're thinking you're going to SEO your way to basically organic search, not going to happen. You think you're going to somehow become a, a YouTuber, it's not going to happen. I mean, all those ships have sailed the essentially the winners have already been declared and essentially there are all at the after party now and you you were not invited probably so really if you're going to Think about what technological advancements are going to make it so that, you know, people who maybe the voices have been drowned out. Like when I'm listening to these clubhouse events, I have to tell you, I find it incredibly fascinating to listen to people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Every single, you know, country you can imagine, and they're all participating in a conversation that maybe I had some sort of passive interest in. But it's it's fascinating to listen and think. And it personally, it makes me feel... Um, I don't know, more connected, truthfully. Yeah, I, that's that's what it, you'd say. That's makes me feel more connected. Yeah.
1: And you know, what's interesting about this because it's international and because there's lots of different topics and because it's easy to use. I think that this can get rid of a lot of people's lack of exposure. You yeah. really have no excuse. Yeah. If you're curious about something, if you know whatever it is, if you want to hear what somebody who really knows about that topic Maybe you're curious about what Jordan Peterson's up to. What does he talk about? You can go there and get snippets or you can go there and spend a whole day and you can defeat that lack of exposure that we often talk about with you know our normal show when we're coaching agents and brokers that maybe you don't think big enough because you haven't been exposed to people who are thinking big enough. And you can go to Clubhouse and hear Elon Musk talk. You can hear Joe Rogan. You can hear, I mean, people that you wouldn't necessarily the world, the have world, access
0: to. The world famous Tim and Julie Harris are going to start but doing a lot of clubhouses, right? <laughs> Not to mention. I mean, maybe. we're going to start doing clubhouses where all of you who listen to our show on a regular basis, because this shows the number one listened to daily Uh, you know, podcast, Real Estate Coaching Radio, and we're going to start doing like after shows. But what's more than that, some of the people that, some of you guys, frankly, we're going to invite you to be participating in our clubhouses and, and, you know, we're going to expand this. We're going to make it like a multifaceted channel. And, And, you know, again, the whole point of this is to just disseminate information and to share the blessing that, frankly, living in this modern era is. There's no doubt, guys, this is the best I don't, I'll call it an era again, um, to be in real estate. There's never been a better time to be in real estate because of all these changes that are happening. Um, and because frankly, all the other things that are happening in the economy, both, you know, both artificial and uh, and real. And so I want you guys to never lose sight of the fact, no matter how, you know, grouchy your buyer is that particular day or, you know, anything else that might be happening, the reality of it is, is you are in the right place at the right time. Um, and now it's up to you to make the right decisions. So I wrote down another question, Julie. Mm-hmm. Um, hold on. Actually, I didn't write down, well, down the Well, I've questions. got a question for you then. Uh-oh.
1: So how would you recommend that our listeners utilize um, Clubhouse? What's the best? I mean, you have to jump in. You have to get used to using it. But what's the best use for it? What's the practicality of it in your mind? Or well, has that yet to be determined?
0: That That's the answer, really. You know, and it's still evolving. I mean, the, the app itself is still trying to figure out what the hell the app's going to be.
1: I read an article about that too. Is that uh, the question? Was uh, what What's the best use or what's the best way for an advertiser to take care to take advantage of Clubhouse? And the the person writing the article uh, said something like, "That's yet to be determined, and there might not be an answer to that." Um, and wouldn't that be interesting? Well, so
0: from our perspective, are mm-hmm. you know we're you know business owners, and what I'm thinking about is how can we be closer to our international community of podcast listeners mm-hmm. and coaching clients. Makes and sense. and I'm not thinking about direct monetization of it. It's not like we're going to sell product off of it, right? It's not like we're going to try to sell overtly sell people in our coaching program. Mm-hmm. We don't do that on this podcast. No. People say, Hey, you know, they realize that we're, you know, we're worthy of listening to, and Hey, maybe their coaching program is phenomenal and they joined. Yeah. But what I'm, mm-hmm. what I'm going to suggest is going to happen is the cream will rise to the top very quickly. Mm-hmm. And I see that's interesting in this podcast or in the uh, clubhouse community, um, is it's almost like the market forces that normally would take someone could, in, I don't want to sound like a critical ass, but there are a lot of people that sell, uh, crap to That's yeah. absolute bogus garbage. Sure. And the marketplace doesn't sort it out very fast because Mm -hmm. the churn in the real estate industry is so quick that agents come and agents go. Mm -hmm. And, you know, basically, long story short, is that there's all these companies that are just, you know, they're here to basically fleece you guys. Yeah, they don't care whether it
1: works or doesn't work or what your long-term success is. They know
0: you guys are opportunistic. Most of you aren't going to take the time to really build long-term sustainable businesses. So you have all these, you know, pseudo people that are, you know, media experts, social media things, marketing things. And that's all the people. Those are the people that have the stickiest webs that you guys fall prey to. Um, and I think on a clubhouse type thing, those people are, are vetted instantaneously. That's seems what I've seen to be, happen. Seems to right. Be
1: the filters are pretty tight. Right. So let's let's turn well, the ship. But for a let's second.
0: define that. Yeah. Okay. So so that they aren't they're clear. Yeah. When you're in the clubhouse app and you're on these, and I haven't screwed around with any of the other apps yet. But you can bounce into a room sort of anonymously and you can listen to what people are talking and then you and, and then you can sort of like bounce into another room and then all of a sudden you're able to compare instantaneously. Yeah. So very quickly, the, you're able to learn who is worth talking to or listening to and who isn't. It's almost like back when you were in college or high school even and there were the, oh, frankly, even elementary school. Do you know in retrospect who the good teachers were and who the bad teachers were? The good professors mm-hmm. and the bad professors. They're the ones that are just calling it in versus the ones that really had their hearts in it. It really have the knowledge base, you know, the Jordan Peterson types. And I don't think, I I, I think that this technology is going to root out the fakers and they're not going to be able to hide anymore like they've been able to.
1: Okay. So related to that, let's think about it from an agent or a broker's standpoint, because what I've been thinking of is, I mean, and I'm interested in your opinion, if you think this is worthy of them doing, but what if you're somebody like uh, Anna Lee in Austin, who is experiencing a big influx of California clients coming into Austin. What if she were to have a clubhouse room? Oh,
0: that I think it's a great idea. Where
1: she was talking about like living in Austin, relocating to Austin, luxury market in Austin. What did, maybe just talk about the different neighborhood options? It do doesn't. But what do you think it, about that?
0: Again, I, I, damn, Julie, we should definitely have gotten clubhouse. To give us some money for today's show, That's right? But um, <laughs> like, so I set up a clubhouse for tomorrow morning at um, 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. and 9 a.m. Atlantic time, which is you know four hours. You know difference with Pacific, so uh, the the event's going to be essentially. I think it's called Masterclass. Uh, my um, see mindset, motivation, and money. That's nice. what the name of it That's is. Good. Yeah, and then what it, when you're setting this up, you then go and you can invite. I think it's like fifteen different. Um, moderators to join with you. Mm -hmm. So I went and I invited a bunch of people that are part of our coaching company or part of Libertas Mm -hmm. or EXP family, Mm -hmm. you know, and I invited them to participate in this event tomorrow. The point being is Mm -hmm. it's not just going to be you and I Mm -hmm. doing what we're doing now. It's Mm going to be a participatory thing. And that's culturally a difference on on Clubhouse Mm -hmm. to a point that... People that show up in Clubhouse that think they're going to give one-way lectures are the ones that go down in flames the fastest. Mm. Because the so aud- the
1: collaborativeness right. of it is important. Which
0: is fascinating. So you asked me, basically, mm-hmm. you're asking me what they can culturally expect. Mm-hmm. So culturally, if you think you're just going to go up there and spat off your dogma, you're not going to because that's not the expected behavior in that in those types of environments. And it's fascinating for me to watch some of these um, you know, people that are only used to basically doing stage presentation types, Mm. having to interact with their audience and listening to them struggle because they cannot have conversations. That's very interesting. It is interesting. So like you'll ask somebody who is supposedly a resident expert on something on a particular topic. It's like talking to a politician. They're very slippery. It's like wet soap. They, can't yeah, they answer. use all
1: these phrases that don't mean anything right. too. I mean, they, they
0: can't answer the question. Yeah. Because it's outside of their normal scope of conversation. Yeah. So they're they're stage performers. They're mm-hmm. fakers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll I i can not get this out of my head, so I'm just gonna say it. <laughs> so this is a little thing that happened. Mm-hmm. You know, with them buying showing time and all these other things. Sure. I remember there was another there was a guy that we had on our podcast, I don't remember his name. Even if I did, I probably wouldn't mention it. But he was a, a, a broker. Nice guy. I don't mm-hmm. dislike him at all. Um, he's with EXP Royalty, as, as are we. Okay. And uh, anyway, so he he ended up working. He was a broker in Arizona. He, we had him on our podcast. Really liked him. Oh, Jay Thompson. Okay. And then he ended up working for, EX, or for uh, Zillow. Okay. okay. And mm-hmm. again, I thought... I they, know who you're talking about. Right. Yep. And so the job Jay took on at Zillow was like... I think probably the hardest job that any human could have signed up for. Mm -hmm. So his job was essentially uh, like an every single day. It was like a suicide mission. He was supposed to go out into the social networks and he did this Mm -hmm. and he was supposed to basically stamp down on the uh, mistruths that were that he perceived were being out there about Zillow. I'm not sure what his real job was Mm -hmm. or his title was. But that's where he spent a lot of his time. So he would be, you know, essentially um, not just answering, but he would be confronting mm-hmm. misinformation about it's like Zillow. It's a quality
1: control kind of job. In essence.
0: And he mm-hmm. did, he was like, you you know, it's the old, remember the old days where Glenn Beck was on Fox News and he had his 13,000 dry erase boards? Yeah. And there was the joke <laughs> that I'll have lived a good life if I just never end up on one right. of right. his uh, yeah. dry erase boards. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> because he was the conspiracy theorist of yep. all, right? Somehow you'd be rooted into something that happened. Happened yep. back in the medieval era and then somehow it's like <laughs> holy crap how would you come up with that yeah, that happened but anyway you didn't want to end up the crosshairs of Mr. Thompson that's for sure um but one of the things one of the things that he was carried that was told to carry into battle as working with Zillow was Zillow would never get into the real estate brokerage business and people were like no one believed it and then and to his you know I'm not uh he was telling the audience and telling agents what the what Zillow was saying and at the time the then CEO Uh, Spencer Raskoff, another really brilliant man, was essentially saying the same thing. We're not going to become realtors. We're not going to become brokers. We're not going to be competitors. Um, and then let's fast forward to today. Spencer leaves the company, his, um, his lieutenants leave the company, and then the founder basically of Zillow uh, comes back into um, you know essentially operations of the company, and the first thing they in essence do are moving towards becoming a brokerage. So there's all these years of Jay filleting himself saying that Zillow is not going to become a mm-hmm. brokerage, and at the time he was doing the yeoman's work for the job he was getting paid to do. So do not misunderstand what I'm saying. But look to see what Zillow always was. Zillow always was the um, you know what was the that sort of the, the Greek thing about them sneaking into the big statue of the, the Trojan horse. horse the Trojan horse, yeah. right yeah. And that's what Zillow has always been and that's what Zillow's going to be with showing time and I'll get I'll give you guys an example. and of course Zillow, is saying oh this is just you know you're being paranoid you're crazy but this is what some of the agents have been saying and honestly i think they're right so with showing time as you guys know the app works so that essentially showing time makes it so that co-ops can directly set up showings on your listings and then what happens if a co-op set a request to set up that showing is in you know there's you know technological mumbo jumbo and witchcraft witchcraft that happens in the back end that communicates the seller says yes no maybe so right in essence that's how it works um some of you guys still do it manually but in essence that's the way show t- showing time works. And it's great software and it's been around forever. Um showing time and uh, what is it feedback.com Home or feedback.com. homefeedback.com yeah really cool technology. Well Zillow buys this thing for 500 million dollars. And it's like on, on the surface you're like what the hell and rumor has it too by the way that I forget um, there's another big company that's essentially threatening to essentially oust Zillow um, not Exp, but there's another one that supposedly Zillow had to pay 500 million because they were bidding for it. Hmm. I don't That's remember. I could I could look it up real yeah. quick and remember the name of it. But why is it that these companies wanted to basically have this technology? What it is about? Because there's competitors. For showing time out there there's plenty of companies out there that do um, essentially the same service but why showing time because showing time had taken the time because they had they were a legacy company had taken the time to essentially establish direct connections with mls's and essentially um, you know in brokers in small towns where there was no mls's and so they're actually able to make it so that they had in essence nationwide coverage for that type of service, and and showing time had become institutionalized in so many big brokerages and, you know, any size brokerages uh, platform. It was just essentially an operational thing, normalized, you know, and so why is it that Zillow wanted this technology platform? They could have bought something else that was less that was existing that provided the same service, started their own. Well, the fear is, and if you guys, I think this fear is absolutely uh, an appropriate fear, is that the showing time widgets are still going to be in place, and when those showing requests happen, those showing requests will essentially be going to Zillow agents, and then Zillow agents basically will be then the buyer agents on those transactions. In other words, showing time itself, and you know the requests for showings from consumers and whatnot are going to essentially uh, be rerouted to essentially a, yeah. a, a Zillow entity that's going to monetize it. It's a,
1: like an information gateway.
0: It basically, and and uh, and if for are it, you saying
1: like directly to the- the potential buyer, who's yeah, probably I mean, it's, also it's, a listing. So, agent. so
0: let's say there's ten brokerages in mm-hmm. you know Columbus, Ohio, mm-hmm. and let's say then that all of them use showing time, or nine out of ten of them use in showing time. Mm-hmm. And let's say a consumer wants to see a, a listing that we have. Mm-hmm. Now, right now, they'll go to showing time. They'll set up the list. They'll set up the showing. They'll basically then go see the house with their you know the realtor yeah. does all this or the consumer does this right. Mm-hmm. And, so what, and then when the consumer sets up the showing, the showing request, it's supposed to go to the listing agent or the listing agent staff, their team, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Well, what's to prevent – what's to keep that uh, funneling of that information going in the same no. – what's to make it so that, like, okay, well, guess what? Now the new rule is if uh, somebody goes to showing time and they request a showing, a consumer requests a showing in your listing, if you don't get back with them within, you know, 60 minutes, we're then going to basically give Reroute that lead it. to one of our Zillow agents.
1: Yeah. And what's one of the hardest things to get anyway? Phone numbers. Right. So there you go.
0: Yeah, and emails and the whole Mm -hmm. thing. And most Mm -hmm. people are textual based. So you guys who are fearful of uh, Zillow acquiring more of these big companies that are, again, legacy brands that are institutionalized into the process, and you have all of these people that are saying, oh, no, you got nothing to worry about. What are you worried about? Well, it's because we're old enough to remember that when Zillow was promising not to become a brokerage. We're old enough to remember when Zillow was basically promising not to do a bunch of other stuff, you know. And um, we're old enough to know that, frankly, they're competitors. And and you know, Gary Keller comes out and says, like, you know, he says the absolute truth: the Zillow is a competitor. Zillow was cannot be trusted. The only way to starve Zillow and to ba- you have to see them as a competitor and stop buying leads. But the problem is, and Zillow knows this. That there are there's a whole generation of realtors right now and brokerages and teams mm-hmm. that are all predicated on buying leads. And they can't break free of this addiction because they never learned how nope. to be proactively generated. You guys are all dependent now. I've
1: had a lot of calls like that. Of where, course. Where it's mostly agents, not so much brokers where the agent will be like, All right, I've been following your podcast for like two years. Yeah, <laughs> Finally usually. breaking up with Zella. what do I do? I'm so nervous. You know, because they they spent the time, you know, talking to lots of impressions and leads and looking for that one or two percent that's really good. And instead of being able to go out and hunt on their own.
0: Well, look what Zillow did. Yeah. for. And again, here's the funny part is you would think that by listening to Julie and I regularly on our show that we're Zillow bashers. We're not. They are a superior business entity. They're a superior business organism that is out to consume all of us.
1: And they're not going away. And they're I mean, not going you, away. You can't but, hide out.
0: But look what they did. Like all these agents and all of them spent so much time. Got to get my Zillow reviews up. And they brag about their Zillow reviews. Like you could be working for ABC uh, Real Estate and you would have advertised on all of your media, social media, business cards, even on your, you know, obviously, uh, if you had a storefront, on your storefront, you have so many Zillow reviews. And you would ask your, you know, your past customers for Zillow reviews, the whole thing. And Zillow was just waiting back and, you know, waiting in the tall grass, watching all of you guys, you know, kill yourselves with these Zillow reviews. And then what they do? Well, we're in the real estate business. And so all of a sudden, what just disappears? In a lot of markets, your home sale data uh, disappeared. Yep. So you spent all this time trying to basically, you know, curate this long database of Zillow reviews. And you were using that as the pointy end of your spear when you were marketing for potential listings and buyers. And just in a single click of a button, Zillow makes yep. it so that you all of a sudden start appearing like you're in essence not selling anything on their website.
1: Well, what you're saying, you built your castle on somebody else's land.
0: And that's the essence. And what now you, you're paying the price. Right, And that is, if that goes back to the heart.
1: They're calling in their land lease.
0: That's right. That goes back to the heart of how Julie and I think philosophically different about business in general. And and listen to what uh, Julie just said. If you build your castle on somebody else's land, do not be surprised if you don't end up owning that castle. You know, those of you out in California and some of the, the, the western states, that where the land your land is maybe owned on hundred year you know leases from families, and there's Indian reservations and whatnot that own land that you know in like a Palm Desert and whatnot. You know, that. and you have these land leases, and people will build subdivisions and whatnot. You don't own the land your house is lease, your house is sitting on. You will pay a monthly fee every month to whoever owns the land that your house is sitting on. You know, if you're, you know, if you get it in the first year of the hundred-year land lease, maybe you don't care. But what makes you think that they're going to extend that land lease? And if they don't, and this is, we know some places in California where this mm-hmm. happens, in Southern California specifically, especially uh, like in Laguna Beach and whatnot. There is a big, huge, really nice condo area in Laguna Beach that's right over the Montage that's all on land lease. And the families, there's like three families that have passed down through generations these land leases, and they're not going to renew the land leases. And when the land lease is over, all of those people in those condos, even if their condos are paid off, those condos no longer belong to them. They transfer to the family. So the family's just waiting in the tall grass. There's like less than 30 years left on these land leases. And
1: meanwhile, they become unfinanceable if you wanted to sell it. Right. because they, what lender is going to want to sign up for that?
0: Right. And they don't they stop financing land leases after, what is it, 20 years or thir- 30. 25 years? I mean,
1: everybody wants a 30-year mortgage, right? Right. So if you've got less than 30 years left you're not getting, at least not easily getting a mortgage on that.
0: So so when Julie and I are talking about when you're you know, building your business, if you, you, you have to think opportunistically or you have to think like an entrepreneur. And if you're going to think opportunistically, that's the reason I know we're seeming a little bit hypocritical because we're talking about apps, but really what we're talking about is the evolution of technology and communication. That's really, like I think personally, Julie, I think aside from podcasting, and podcasting is obviously the, is similar, it's like a kissing cousin to these new Audible apps, mm-hmm. this is the biggest thing since the Gutenberg. Press. No, I think you're Since, right. since the mass, the ability to, to print newspapers, this mm-hmm. is going to be the thing that's really going to change everything, I think personally. Um, anyway, so uh, ultimately, where's this go? So I'm, I'm listening to one of our primary competitors. He puts out this pot, uh, this, uh, and he is sponsored by Zillow. He gets money from Zillow to do uh, live events, right? So he is essentially in Zillow's pocket, or more, I think, accurately, they're in his pocket. Uh, so he comes out and he's obviously, you know, pro himself and pro his business. And he's talking about how realtors just, you know, shut up, suck it up. And Zillow basically going to do what Zillow is going to do. And, you know, you could continue to do business with them. And by the way, you should buy leads and build a team that's all predicated on buying leads. And if you guys you guys need to be really, really aware of the ramifications of the decisions that you make and who you listen to, which is, I think, really, you know, pertinent to what we've been focusing on inadvertently today, which is Clubhouse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to somebody who's gonna give you bad business advice, you could actually waste an entire lifetime because you just basically were following a few misdirective, you know, misdirections. Like for example, I mean you talked about a couple of podcasts ago. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things when fighter pilots are landing their plane, talk about that.
1: Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember what the name of the rule is. It's something like the 1 to 70 ratio, I think, where for, for every one degree that you're off course, okay, you will land the planes, I think it's 60 miles off course, just off of one degree. And so they had some, I don't have it in front of me, but that, that ended up meaning that if you, if you were flying for an hour at one degree off, that you'd end up like however many hundred miles off, that, that one degree really matters. And I also use the analogy, you know, 211 degrees, water's just really super hot, but 212, it's boiling and you can, you know, cook with things and, you know, different things happen at boiling level that don't happen at 211. So one degree matters.
0: Well, and that's what unfortunately happens when you guys uh, are, without knowing um, that you're making a mistake, you take the wrong advice and then you get off by one degree. And then
1: gradually off course a little bit, then it compounds.
0: And then you end up after two or three years in in a place that you really didn't want to be. Um, and because, again, most people who start businesses, most people certainly to get into real estate, they don't have backgrounds of, of business or having knowing how to think about how to discern good information from bad. And when they jump into these big, you know, ponds where there's all these people trying to sell them stuff who are purporting themselves to be experts and gurus and da 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 da, da. again, you don't have the experience to know that they're, you know, con artists basically. And so the problem ultimately becomes then you get off – course by one degree. And what you originally intended to do when you got into real estate or start your business, it got it gets completely co opted because you're now following all these particular paths that you've been told will help you get there quicker. And you don't know enough to know that they won't get you there quicker. They're just designed to basically placate your unwillingness to do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. I mean, is that saying it precisely enough? Yeah.
1: And the, you know, the sad thing is that doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level really is not that egregious. No. I mean, it's not. Some, some of you guys just avoid that with with such vigor until you break through and you actually do it. And I, I think about our coaching clients whose calls I listen to, who in the beginning, yes, are awkward and clunky, but when they persevere and they do it for like even a week... The, the calls that are on Friday are so much better than the calls that they did on Monday and the, the reaction is always the same you know I, work, I most of them still have to get worked up to like make contacts and do your lead follow I would if, if I had to go best. back so to prospecting course. I would it's normal it's natural there's it nothing yeah. wrong with you you know um, but then when they do it and they get results. I mean, we had a coaching client last week make one contact with one for sale by owner and take one listing and it was sold by the weekend.
0: And guys, look. That'd be easier. There is no necessarily one way to be successful in real estate, but there are many ways to never be successful in real estate, right? But you, you might not ever have, and we've had great coaching clients who have never, like, Tim, you tell me to pick up the phone and call, you know, anybody, I'm going to literally send a, you know, SEAL Team 6 crew over to, you oh, know, whack you, you. Yeah. right? Uh, we are not going, okay, I got it, no problem, so let's talk about, and then we cater the plan, and that's what Premier Coaching is all about. That's what our coaching program is about. We give you the different options, we tell you the pluses and the minuses of each of those things, we tell you what direction is going to go, like, you're always going to basically end up, um, if you think about this logically, you're either going to have to buy your business by buying business or you're going to have to buy your business through basically learning a skill set and then putting your time towards it. And like centers of influence and past clients, that's going to be the most time consuming of any of the things that you guys can possibly choose if you're going to do it at the highest level. Okay. It's also very effective, which is the reason that we suggest you focus on that first as your primary spoke. And then we're going to move you towards other proactively generation spokes. Multiple
1: spokes in the wheel. Okay. Right. So I'm doing a talk for the Happy Realtor, I think, uh, program on Wednesday that's about how to combine these things, right? That you don't want to be, whether it's buying leads, certainly you don't want to be addicted to that. But even if, if your only business is coming from past clients and center of influence, how can you expand upon that? How can you have multiple ways of building your business? And, and no, you don't have to be like a hardcore strap your headset on, uh, you know, an hour a day no matter what prospector. There's lots of different ways to do it, but the the most robust, the most competent businesses that are predictable and duplicatable have more than one thing set up. They have some where it's people What's they spokes? know, and they have other things that are more proactive. And then most of our clients have another something else going on in the background, like a builder relationship or something of that nature. It's not just one thing.
0: If you guys are wanting to have more drill down information that... I was about to say easy button, but I will say easy button. <laughs> go to Amazon or any of the you know bookstores; it's for sale everywhere, and get our book Harris Rules. And you know, you get it from uh, Barnes and Noble. You can get it. We've seen it for sale everywhere, so just go get Harris Rules. It's got f- over 400 five star reviews, and by the way, these are real reviews; they're not BS <laughs> reviews. You know, right. and go and go and re- read the reviews. Buy the book. It's also available on Audible. But that really is your A to Z roadmap for how to build a long term profitable business. Yeah.
1: Well, so for example, you were talking about how there's lots of de- different ways. Uh, There are many ways to be successful. There's even more ways to not be successful. But for example, in the back of Harris Rules, I actually have a little appendix that's called the Introvert's Guide to Being a Real Estate Rockstar. I mean, how many people are listening going, God, I could never have those conversations. It just makes me so uncomfortable. Well, there's a step-by-step action plan if that's you and you freak out when you're around people or you just feel really drained. There's varying levels of, you know, introvert, uh, you know, uh, conflict with this, but there's, there's things that we do to help you. I I never fully answered your question. Okay.
0: So if you want to start, if you're an agent and you're wanting to do clubhouses, definitely do them, but you don't have to do them by yourself. You can pull up,
1: you shouldn't do them by yourself. Right.
0: You can pull up other people that are, you know, just, You decide who's going to be up on your panel with you on your, you know, virtual stage with you. And then you can have the topic be whatever you wanted to talk about. Julie was using the example of Anna Wall and talking about, you know, Austin, uh, Texas, uh, home, the real estate market over $5 million, which by the way, I was looking at this morning, because I have uh, clients that actually are looking uh, up a real anyway, long story short, I was just checking to see what was available. And there's a lot. Mm -hmm. And so she should be maybe doing a Clubhouse, mm-hmm. where she's talking about the other things that are, are for sale, and maybe what she's going to do is she's going to pull in some other high end agents from other markets sure. that are feeder markets to Austin. That's a great idea. So if she's doing an Austin-based podcast and she pulls in agents from who are also selling similarly expensive homes in California or wherever the feeder markets mm-hmm. are into Austin, uh, maybe you know Elon Musk is moving all this stuff there. Sure. Uh, you know, all these other huge companies are getting mm-hmm. out of California and moving to Austin, then. That would be an awesome way to build a great network for referrals, but also oh. you're feeding directly into prospective real estate clients. Yes. And I think is, people would listen to that. Definitely. I think people would, I would it would be interesting.
1: Yeah. And you know, they're they're having uh some development of like people who have recently moved and and you know, showing them cool stuff about Austin and just building that community.
0: I wouldn't necessarily personally, I wouldn't waste a lot of time just trying to sound like I was a localized
1: travel you know, And they're trying or, to build their center of influence, right? And, you know, that sort of thing. But I like your idea of the the out-of-state luxury Isn't that what people other, really want to know? Yeah, I think people are super curious about like you, that. Like
0: she could start doing a daily or a weekly um, clubhouse Where uh, everyone in their group is gonna bring, like, you know, whatever their best real estate stories are. She wants to gear this not towards consumers. She wants Mm -hmm. to build this, gear this towards real estate agents so Mm then she can get the referrals. But she could do both. I mean, she could pivot and do whatever the hell she wants to do it on. I mean, it'd be exciting. But here's the last thing. This is Mm -hmm. the reason I asked you about the degrees thing. Yeah. Um, So the winners out of post COVID era are gonna be the long term winners, period. And that's one of the things for sure. And the losers in the post-COVID era are going to be losers long term. And if you're wanting to pick the winners and, and knowing where it is, how to separate yourself from the ones that are going to be the laggers, it's it's pretty it's pretty damn easy to do it. Right? Where's the growth? What companies are growing the fastest? What op, you know? Again, we talk about these different types of interesting evolutions of technology. What things have stalled out? Um, as far as even like when was the last time any of you um, thought about? Like Facebook, for example, how many younger people do not go on Facebook anymore? You know, it's mostly Facebook is not necessarily looked as a, a real robust build, business building opportunity as much as it was, say, five years ago or even four years ago. And Twitter, certainly. Twitter's become something that no one really, guys, get what I'm saying here. So if you're wanting to pick the winners, look to see who the winners are and mostly the winners who are essentially winning because of COVID. And those will place your bets on those companies. So place your bets on things that are going to be, um, you know, essentially enhancing the ma- the macro trends that have already started and earnest. The won't reverse when you see these big um, you know, these huge numbers of people moving out of the city centers, that doesn't just all of a sudden stop. That trend is going to continue because of the way the humans are. Humans, you know, you move your family from, you know, San Francisco to Dallas or Austin. Chances are your friends are going to follow. Chances are other people have social mobility are going to follow. And you're going to see these big macro trends. And that's the way it's always happened. Even back to the settling, if you want to call it that, of the United States. Those were families leaving England. Right, and then more English people would come over, and then what happened is the Irish people followed, and more Irish people followed, and that's reason that you're going to see a lot of people again starting to populate these previously, uh, you know, second home uh, areas, vacation areas. So big macro trends in real estate is obviously EXP Realty. There is no bigger macro trend in real estate than uh, what we're going to experience in EXP. And I have to say, business wise, our affiliation with EXP two years ago. Mm-hmm. When you put your license with the XP was, I mean, one of the top three business decisions we ever made.
1: I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah, The only thing that I could say is it would have been even better to do it sooner. Yeah, I know. I mean, honestly, (laughs) when they... You know, we had a lot of... We uh, should have done it sooner. (laughs) ...resistance and curiosity that a lot of these listeners do too. And, you know, we kind of backburnered it for a little bit. And then I always say, you know, once you actually understand the model and you see the math behind it and you see all of the different ways that it's different, that you're not just making money from your commissions... You cannot unsee that. Well, uh, but look at it know. strictly
0: from the virtual perspective.
1: Well, it was it, it's like a company that was meant for a virtual environment. It was born as a virtual environment.
0: I don't know how many years too soon Glenn's vision was but it Probably was a not few. a few, yeah. yeah. And then it, it was already, obviously, EXP was already doing fantastic. And then COVID kicks in. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, everyone who thought a real estate brokerage has to have an office. Yeah. Now, that is not even an issue anymore for most people. Well, most well, it's peop-
1: made not their choice anymore. You can go to your office if you wanted to. Right.
0: And so when you know we were talking about people about joining our uh, EXP group called mm-hmm. Libertas, and yes, Julie and I would love to sponsor you at EXP. If you're interested in being sponsored by us, text me directly at 512-758-0206. 512-758-0206 and of course Julie and I would love to sponsor you and we'd of course love to have you as part of our eXp team uh, 512-758-0206. But one of the questions that you and I would get when we were talking to agents about joining EXP a couple years ago mm-hmm. is their issue with maybe having an office. And now that never happens anymore. Never. And, and then, but really what's the profound change as a result of COVID is the expectation, like consumers who aren't going to real estate offices in the first place mm-hmm. will yeah. never have an expectation that there's going to be a real nope. estate office. It's
1: going to be in person or Zoom.
0: That's right. Just like Amazon is, just like sure. you know Netflix is, just like all these other... This is what I'm talking about. So the winners, as a result of COVID, are going to be the long-term winners because that's where the momentum is. And so when you look at EXP from a strictly from a business opportunity perspective, there's nothing that's even remotely close to that. But when you look at EXP Realty from an opportunity from to build a long-term, sustainable, profitable, multi-spoke uh, source of income type business, there is that's the reason that Julie and I get really excited about it. You know, we have friends that uh, we sponsored, friends and coaching clients that we sponsored into eXp, some of which now have, in in less than two years, they've accumulated uh, low seven figures in eXpi stock, most of which was given to them in the form of uh, stock awards from reaching uh, certain sales milestones. Well,
1: in other words, they did similar or better business than they were used to were not like crazy recruiting types no. they, they were awarded the stock because as their different milestones of production which they were doing anyway but not getting awarded for
0: right so the, the exp does not give you plaques or trophies thank god. You stock. They give you stock. They give <laughs> That's you something. Yeah, I mean, you're you're. They actually give you money for That's your success. Funny. Isn't that the whole point of it being successful? You know, helping people is a wonderful thing, but the actual litmus test is the profit you make from it. Well, at EXP, you make multiple sources of income, which has never been offered to real estate agents. I mean, if you think about, I saw an interesting a way of explaining it the other day, which I thought was really very accurate. If you think about it in terms of all the people in the traditional real estate brokerage model, from you know from a franchise perspective, all the people that are making that are getting rich the mm-hmm. one person that does the one group that does all the work that, make, that has the least return on their investments the real agent. estate agents yeah mm-hmm. I mean the real estate agents make transactional income but the franchise owner creates an asset he has passive income region holders and obviously the, the mothership back in whatever you know Wherever they're located, they're all making a portion of the money that you're paying in royalty fees and commissions and whatever. And the agents there are still stuck on the streets having to do all the real hard uh, yep. work, heavy lifting, you know, income insecurity, never really creating any real net worth. It's just, there's a real profound reason why most agents never retire. And if they do, they certainly don't retire rich. It's because they basically didn't have EXP Realty to create multiple sources of income for them and and having been associated with this company now for going on 2 years and seeing the truly profound impact not just from an emotional perspective but from a long-term financial perspective it's having on some of the people uh, a lot you know a lot of the people that we've been sponsoring and bringing into DXP to see them um, and to really have them give us gratitude for having brought them in, some yeah, it's awesome. some, some we had to you know, do some things. arm twisting. Yeah, but to see them in EXP and getting all the benefits from it, and how they're showing us how their lives have
1: changed. Well, they're they're raving fans now. They might they might right. have been you know questioning. Like I know a lot of people that uh, you know, especially even a year or two ago, they were like, oh, the stock, you know, that's that's okay, you know." And now they're like, "Holy tamuli!" Yeah. And, I, and and you didn't some of it maybe they bought but most of it they were awarded meaning that was given to you I was getting
0: I, the, I have had conversations numerous mm-hmm. times with people that did not realize they had twenty, thirty, forty thousand 40 thousand dollars in yeah. eXpi because stock because they
1: hadn't logged into checking because they didn't log into their accounts
0: <laughs> to see that it was sitting I in know, their account they didn't know great. how to look mm-hmm. and so it's like I can show them with a couple of screenshots what to do and it's so hilarious I when know. they realize that they've accumulated I had one last week it was like 120 thousand dollars <laughs> and they didn't even know it i know it's, it's like unbelievable what, gift,
1: what an amazing thing I, you know, I almost want to tell him you know don't look until thanksgiving yeah, exactly. and then you're going to be really grateful on that day
0: yeah well so. and then I, then it's like you know we're certainly not stock picking advice no. advisors or financial experts but then of course most of the agents first mind goes uh, thought goes good i get to buy my boat no 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 <laughs> the XPI is going to be one of these once in a lifetime opportunities and the way for you to get the money out of the opportunity and make the most of the opportunity is to be there as it continues to ascend and that is what's happening. You know, I give you all. I don't want to bore you guys talking about you know share prices of eXpi, but I do want you to be very clear that you need to take a seriously hard look at this because this is one of those things that in the future you're going to be so grateful you you will have done. I mean, hopefully you feel that way about your real estate license. You know, hopefully you feel that way about having listened to today's podcast. Hopefully. Right, that has benefited you in some way. Well, EXP is going to benefit you more ways than just educationally. It's also going to basically. Basically, guys, if you essentially do what's required at eXp, you sell houses, you do what you're supposed to do, you can accumulate more money quicker. And I'm not going to say all of you, but I am going to say a majority of you. Um, than you ever would have been able to do on your own. And that's what's really amazing. I mean, I, I, I say this, and as I was, you guys heard me stammering there, is because I was just reminding myself that, you know, Julie and I, for 20 years, you know, we've been married for 30 years this year. But for 20 years, our goal when we got married was to accumulate enough uh, paid off rental properties that someday we'd live off the cash flow. And we did it by the time I was 41 and Julie was 40. But, you know, that was 11 years or 10 years ago. But here's the pester of it. If we had to do it all over again, we wouldn't have bought a single rental property. No Probably way. not. Yeah.
1: Well, maybe if they were really good deals, but no, no, generally not.
0: Can I tell my funny property management story?
1: (laughs) Sure. All right. So, uh, which is also why I do some of that.
0: We get a, um, we have properties in Texas. And as you guys know, Texas is under this great freeze. And there's a couple of the tenants that have communicated with me and I'm just, you know, I'm friendly to them. I I mean, right. Who cares? And uh, one in particular is leasing this really cool little ranch that Julie and I still own back in um, Austin and um really really nice guy really sweet family the whole thing so they were you know austin was without power and they were giving me updates on what was going on house has a fireplace so they were able to stay there the the well head froze and now they have water again the whole thing it's really been a freaky time in austin but they have um you know he he was worried about blown pipes cuz obviously that could happen yep. and so he found this leak on the uh ceiling of the bathroom and he said I'm going to go up and check it out and I'm going to see what the story is and so he did and he didn't find any evidence of any leaking and and so and, and it's like he's still sending me all these pictures of this sort of like yellow orange circular stain and I'm thinking to myself, okay, so like there's. On Saturday
1: th- morning over the, your coffee. And like
0: last night, and yeah. it's like constantly, I'm getting this little. <laughs> and then he, he finally asked me what to do about it. And I say, well, nothing, because obviously there's no leak. And, you know, and why don't you wait for Austin to return to normal temperatures and see if maybe there is something could that condensation who, something. You're right, could condensation, who knows, let's just see what happens. And then he was asking me, like, he obviously wanted me to, you know, have somebody come out and look at it and spend money on it. And I said, oh, no, you know, what it probably is. It's probably a stain from the murder that happened in the house back in the 70s. Okay, now the house was built in the Crickets. 80s. The house was built in the 80s. And <laughs> nice. so I didn't get a message back from him because he thought I was serious, I guess. And then you can tell he went and talked to his wife and they were panicking about it. And, you know, maybe they got a black light out to see if it reflected. I don't even know what, right? So Julie's That's looking terrible, at me waving her terrible. head. And so and so oh she, and then then he texts me back and he goes, hold on. The house was built in the 70s. There could have been, couldn't have have been a, a murder here. And, and the then. 80s. The 80s, yeah. And I don't remember what the response was after that. But the gist of it was, don't bother me about stains.
1: I know. Well, but that's just one example. In that it's
0: Oh, we are talking about property management? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a slippery slope. So I was, and a lot of our listeners have rentals, and they know exactly what you're talking so about. So I've
0: been having this back and forth, go back and forth for the last three days, and I finally told Julie about it, to which she reminded me that I'm not allowed to do any property management.
1: That's right. No, that is not the response they were looking for. <laughs>
0: yeah, no. They wanted us to send no. over our handyman I to waste know. a bunch of, you know, so 500 nasty. bucks to doing nothing. But anyway, so um, yeah, no rental properties. Had we had expi, yeah, I had one
1: say, uh, "There's flies around my trash can." I'm like, "Take the trash out. What do you want from me?" Like <laughs> seriously, you actually texted me that.
0: You should see when they when they oh, text my. you stuff like that. You should yeah. say, um, "Can you please capture one of the flies and <laughs>
1: send it to the and, lab and send
0: the lab to find out what kind of fly it is?" Because in yep. you know in, in that particular market, there's some sort of like horrible Martian killer fly that has they can spit venom. And you have to capture one to see, and and just, you know, a a polite way of saying, take your trash out.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But the things that they come up with, it's just... I know.
0: Amazing. So no, we probably wouldn't have bought any properties. No, probably not. But here's the irony of it is, mm-hmm. is that we make more money now from revenue share from EXP than we make from all those paid off rental properties.
1: Yeah, and 20 years of work plus.
0: And 20 years of, of really not just work, but plenty of year, 20 years of sacrifice. Yeah. I mean, what we could have done when we are saving up to buy another, you know, you know, a lot of them we paid cash for, and so we'd have to save up 120, 175 thousand dollars or whatever. Be a and lot we. More you're not doing a lot other things when you're trying to save up the cash, right? Mm-hmm. And we did that. Year in and year out. We could have had a hell of a lot more fun. And I look back on all that now and I can't regret it because we are you know we're at the other end of that rainbow and we have all those paid off assets. But those damn things, I tell you right now, if we had to do all over again EXP Realty and given the various revenue share opportunities and stock building opportunities. Look, you can build revenue share and whatnot. And then maybe from the revenue share, you don't want to spend it. You want to sell real estate and keep your income coming in from transactions. But you can take the revenue share and then you could start buying dividend paying stocks. You can create multiple streams of income just from the passive income that you get from EXP. Look, guys, at the end of the day, these are opportunities that are not available to mere civilians like all of us. Until um, EXP royalty, especially in the real estate realms.
1: Yeah. Well, the really cool thing is that none of this takes that long to build. So no. I, I get really excited about like our younger agents who have a huge career in front of them, 20, 30 years, however long you want to be. But I'm also excited for our agents that have already done a lot of their career because it only takes I me mean, like our clients that have been in for 18 months and they're already, you know, six figures of, of just the stock part. And that's just one of the things. Well, it's a lot. of It th- doesn't take that long. And, and you don't have to like trash your real estate business no. and, and go become a recruiter. I think that's one of the misinformation yep. things because I see what agents talk about on their little mm-hmm. boards and stuff they are like, well, I'm not going to, that's just a bunch of recruiting. No, it's a real estate company. You know, their revenue is from real estate transactions and the agents own the business. But
0: since you bring that up, and that is a common thing people say, is that the recruiting aspect of it is something that generally speaking happens organically just from doing real estate transactions because people will ask you about it. But really where they, how the recruiting question is really handled is that you have to make sure you're being sponsored by somebody that's going to support you in your recruiting, support you in your attracting efforts of other agents. And that's the reason that I think our exp revenue share group is so successful because we have a whole system in place as you guys can imagine that's uh, designed to reinforce your sponsoring aka recruiting efforts that's that's what our group is called it's called libertas which is Latin for freedom. So listen, I, I went mm-hmm. around the bend. Yep, me too. Um, so for those of you who are uh, living through the de-thawing of the United States right now after this horrible winter blast, we sympathize with you. Um, you know, And uh, yeah, we're, our, our hearts are with you. It's it's going to be, if anything, here's a positive spin on all of it. What this weather has done is it's stymied the real estate markets so that the um, essentially there'll even be a bigger surge Of buyer and seller activity that you you can look forward to, but I hope from overall from what you've taken from today's podcast is no matter how old you are, no matter where you are in the world, no matter how educated you are, no matter what you look like, no matter what you you know anything, the opportunity is in front of you. Your greatest days and your greatest years are still in front of you if you choose for them to be. in front of you. Some of you are starting to give up. Some of you are becoming complacent. Some of you are thinking that you can't make the most of the things that Julie and I talk about in our show and our coaching program. You need to move away from that and realize that real estate, you've already done, whether you know it or not, real estate, in our opinion, is one of the most blessed, amazing things. Um, you know businesses you could possibly be in, especially in the era that we are slowly, but you know, as we you know leave the end of this pandemic, as we're slowly meandering into, there's going to be a resurgence in the economy and people's mindsets about life. There's going to be so many huge demographic surges. There's going to be all kinds of amazing, massively, un- historically unprecedented uh, financial opportunities that are still in front of you if you decide to make the most of them. The most practical, tactical, smartest thing you could be doing is absolutely if you ever. Real estate license is joining eXp Realty and please do consider having Julie and I sponsor you. Text me directly at 512 758 0206. Um, And guys, you are in the right place at the right time. If you've ever wondered what that feeling felt like, if maybe you've never felt like that before or have always been curious. And maybe you've even maybe been a little bit envious of people who you figured had their, you know, their golden eagle flyover over who were, be, were given an opportunity that maybe you were jealous of. Well, this is your opportunity now because of the fact that you have a real estate license. And hopefully you're going to use our voices and you're going to use your own heart and intuition to realize that your best days are ahead of you if you choose for them to be.
1: That's it. So get to work. Think about what we talked about today and don't wait.